seat. At the end of the service, uh, we'll have a communion time, and we'll have a time uh, that we'll remember uh, the saints, and I'll talk you through that uh, at the end of the talk. Uh, and I know All Saints Day is kind of a strange thing, and especially today, there's this weird feel, right? We're going to come in here and talk about maybe some kind of heavy stuff. Uh, there's plenty of people in this room that have fresh wounds, and everyone's out there like marching for candy and, uh, and cupcakes, and I don't blame you if you decide you want to leave partway through and go get some cupcakes for marching in a circle. I won't blame you for it. But I do think it's important that we, as people of faith, uh, intentionally take these moments. All right? We live in a, in a world that tries to pretend uh, <laughs> like this stuff doesn't exist. Right? We try to avoid it at all costs. And I don't know if that's a good or healthy thing to do. And on All Saints Day, we take some time to remember and learn from the saints that have gone before us. And I want you to know, uh, in case there's any, uh, this needs to be clarified, I believe in using the term saint very liberally. Uh, I know a lot of times that term invokes images of halos and backlighting and some kind of otherworldly, untarnished piety, someone whose feet kind of float a little bit off the ground, not like us normal human beings. But I don't believe that's what a saint really is. And I, I know the Bible can be hard to interpret about a lot of things, but this is not one of them. All of Scripture points very clearly to the idea that saints are very imperfect people. The saints have very checkered pasts, right? I don't believe you need to be able to make an airtight case for your saints, your saints' impeccable qualifications. In fact, if you're like me, most of your saints would laugh at the designation being applied to them. It's part of what I like most about them. Yet somehow they are the vehicles by which God delivered grace and healing and love to us. One of my favorite writers, Frederick Buechner, uh, says this of, of the saints. He says, the feet of the saints are, as much, are made as much of clay as everyone else's. And their sainthood consists less of what they have done than of what God has for some reason chosen to do through them. The saints are the ones who, in their own human and flawed ways, help tether us to the Creator. And to lose them is no small thing. And tonight I'm not looking to be morbid or morose. But we want to talk about this idea a little bit. And the lectionary text for All Saints Day this year is the one passage I would pick if I just picked anything. And it happens to be the lectionary passage uh, for the task at hand. We're in John 11. Uh, in the death and uh, half funeral and then raising of Lazarus, right? And Lazarus is called, the only one actually in Scripture is called Jesus' friend, which is Jesus' friend, which is another way of saying that he was one of Jesus' saints. And uh, leading up to the part of the story that we're going to read, Jesus hears that his friend is sick. Jesus, knowing he has a power to heal him, still takes his time getting there. In fact, he kind of delays and stays where he's at for a while. It's one of those kind of mysteries of Scripture as to why he does that. In fact, everyone in this text, you're going to realize, wants to know why he did that. And when he finally gets into town, Lazarus has already passed, been gone a few days, and everyone is mourning. And after a season of loss for so many people, this feels like the perfect story upon which to reflect. And we're going to pick up in verse 17, and we'll read it in a couple pieces here. 
But it says this, John eleven seventeen through 35 says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So one sister went out, one sister stayed back. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So the first sister goes out and says, why, why weren't you here, right? If you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. They, they, they believe, they've seen Jesus heal people. They know what Jesus can do. If you would have been here, this would not have happened. She says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So there's kind of this question and this undying faith of what Jesus can do happening at the same time, right, in this person. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Right? So this comes across as like this kind of religious pat answer. You know, one day he'll, he'll rise again. Yeah, great. Yeah, I know in the resurrection he will, Jesus. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up and quickly went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And that's the end of what she says. No, but now I know God will give you whatever you ask for. Not, not, a, not a question or an accusation mixed with some faith, just where were you, right? I love the way this scene is set because the beginnings of the scene set up the messiness, the difficulty of losing a saint. That strange mixture of grief and anger and sometimes faith and hope, but also questions all mingled and compressed together in one moment. And I love the honesty of the question to God that is always found in this moment. Where were you? The question is at the front of mind of the sister who still has a little faith and that maybe God will do something. And the question is at the front of the mind of the other sister who can't think about anything else but that question at the time. And both are okay. Because nothing brings deeper or more haunting questions than this kind of loss, right? This kind of event leaves room, uh, actually creates all the space in the world for all the what ifs. And we've all been there and we've all done it the unanswerable questions of a broken heart. And it's really hard to live with no answer. Again, I think most of you have been there. And what you've seen and heard is that most of us are so uncomfortable with the idea that there is no answer, we'll throw anything into that blank. I'm a pretty even-keeled guy. But I don't think there's anything worse than the terrible answers we tend to give each other in these moments of grief because we're just uncomfortable with the question mark. 
Again, I'm, I'm a pretty even keel guy, but I've wanted to fight a few people at funerals before. Sometimes a pastor. I just, I can't stand the trite religious speak that people do to try and answer a question that can't be answered. God must have needed an angel. I will, I want to punch you if you say that. And it's said all the time. Not only is, does it make no sense whatsoever, but who, who are you to say something like that to someone, right? Everything happens for a reason. Don't like that one either. I've heard God spared them from something worse later on. That's a steaming pile of something. Maybe one of the gifts of this, uh, of this whole text is that Jesus doesn't give any easy answers to hard questions. He certainly talks about what will happen one day. He certainly talks about resurrection in the broad terms. But he, you know, even the first sister's like, yeah, great, yeah, I know that. But that doesn't fix what's happening right now. So be comfortable with that. No, maybe not comfortable. Learn to live with it. There's not always an answer, and that's okay. There doesn't have to be. And please don't ever be the source of an answer when there doesn't need to be one. Don't be the, the, give those vapid and dismissive religio-speak kind of things. You can just be quiet and not know as well. Just because we can't handle the sacred mystery of another person's suffering doesn't mean we have the right to fill the space with unhelpful, unhelpful religious-sounding nonsense. It's not kind. It's not helpful. It's okay. Jesus didn't bother to explain it all. You don't have to. Again, ultimately, Jesus did not try to answer the unanswerable. He knew, keep this in mind, Jesus knows the answer. You don't even have a good excuse of knowing the answer, so you definitely shouldn't say anything. Jesus knows the answer and didn't say anything. Jesus knows everything's going to be okay. He knows that he's not just talking about Lazarus one day in the great by and by rising. He's going to raise him right there. He knows everything's going to be okay, but he doesn't give easy answers. He doesn't give easy answers, but he does give a couple things that I feel like we can hold on to in faith from this story. Continuing in verse 33, verse 37, it says this. The second sister, of course, has come out. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? I think the most important, the first and most important thing we can learn here in this story is not easy answers to hard questions, but the first and most important thing we can learn here is that God is truly and fully with us. Letter for letter, pound for pound, I find this shortest verse in the Bible, 1135, John 1135, to maybe be packed with the most meaning in all of Scripture. Jesus wept. The depth of empathy found in a weeping Christ is profoundly moving and important to me. 
Here is the God of the universe, the creator of all things, through whom and by whom all things are made. Who knows, who knows Lazarus is going to be starting a party any moment now. Who knows all of history. Who knows what this means in the grand scheme of things. Who knows that everything will be all right. He sees it all from an eternal perspective that you and I do not have access to. That God in that situation, upon seeing everyone else's grief, even though he knew everything was going to be all right, even though he knew the funeral was about to be a party, he weeps. Why does Jesus weep? He knows everything's going to be okay. Why does Jesus weep? He weeps because those he loves are weeping. He grieves because those he loves are grieving. And this is a level of empathy that we have a hard time connecting to. It is supernatural. Last night, uh, my son finally really discovered candy for the first time. We don't give him a lot of that candy, and uh, he found it. Uh, It turns out he likes it a lot. Um, He wanted approximately every lollipop ever manufactured in one night is what he was going for. He would just taste them, set them down, grab another one, unwrap it. He just was going to town. And when he was told that he could not eat only candy for the rest of his living, breathing moments on this earth, he was genuinely bereft. My son lost it. He was crying and falling on the ground, and I had to take candy and hide it from him and put it up someplace where he couldn't see it. I mean, he was lost in the world. And I know it's no big deal. And I know everything's going to be fine. And I know there's other lollipops, and it's actually really bad for him if he keeps eating those things. I have a perspective he can't possibly have. I know he felt like the world was over. I know he genuinely felt it. But I knew it wasn't. I didn't weep with him over those stupid lollipops. Are you kidding me? In fact, like some of you, I'm glad to know, it was funny. He's just lucky I didn't have my phone in my pocket. I would have filmed him losing his world and laughed at it later on with my adult friends. I don't even know how to access a part of me that would really feel what my son felt in a moment like that, where I knew everything was going to be okay. And I know that's an unfair comparison to losing a brother for Mary and Martha. I understand that. But in the scheme of the entire universe, of all of human history, of all of the cosmos, it would be certainly understandable for God to go, come on. But our grief is God's grief. And that is a beautiful idea. You don't need to give me an answer for why I've lost the people I've lost. You you can't come up with something that's going to make it okay. That does not make me feel better. Knowing that God is with us, knowing that God feels what we feel, that God grieves with us, That means something to me. That changes things. Doesn't make it all go away. Doesn't make it easy all the time. Doesn't make it not sad. But it changes things. 
And secondly, not only can we know that God is with us, that God weeps when we weep, but we can know that God will still use the saints in our lives. God was not done with Lazarus. Their lives go on, and not just in an otherworldly way, but here and now. And now granted, in this story, it's very real and literal, right? Lazarus actually gets up, he's hungry, he wants to eat. But eventually, he died again. That's one of the weird things I wish Scripture would cover. Like, what happened the second time Lazarus died? That would have been a strange funeral, wouldn't it? Eventually, he did die. He is gone now, and we are still talking about him. I could no sooner remove the ongoing presence and life of my saints than I could remove my own heart. And no, they're not here sharing a laugh or a meal, and that's, that sucks. But God is still very much using them as instruments of grace in my life, just like he's using your saints as instruments of grace in yours. Now, I personally believe in an actual resurrection. I believe in eternal life. I believe all that stuff. You may not. It's okay. You're still welcome here. I believe in that actual thing. But I also understand and realize I'm very happy for the fact that there's another type of resurrection that occurs every time my saints are still with me. It's part of what makes them my saints. They just keep living. And this is why we take time to do something like this. To maybe even poke at a wound that we don't have to poke at. But we take some time each year to honor that which we are tempted to try and ignore because it's easier. Life is fleeting. The saints go before us. But they don't ever go away. And so we lift up our own loss, our own grief, to an empathetic God who is already grieving and feeling the loss with us. And we gather tonight to announce once again our saints to the world as the ongoing conduits of God's grace that we know them to be, even today. So tonight during our final song, uh, the communion table is open to you, but it'll be uh, a little different than normal. We've still got the little kind of packages that you'll take with you for communion on the sides over here. Some say gluten-free on top. If you need that, you can grab it. They don't taste as good. I wouldn't grab it unless you need it. And we're going to invite each of you to come forward and take those communion elements back to your seat. Give everyone a little bit of space as they're coming forward. We're not in a hurry. We're going to invite you to light a candle to remember your saint by. And we're also going to invite you, if you weren't able to get uh, the name of someone you would like mentioned uh, to us ahead of time, names are already written up here, but there's a marker out, and you can write a new name on the list if, if, one, if it hasn't been written already. Write it neatly enough for me to read, please. And after this final song, uh, 
we'll all stand together. We'll read off the names of our saints, and every few names we'll uh, read a communal prayer together. Lord, in your mercy, may light perpetual shine upon them. And we'll remember our saints. Then we will take communion together, and we will go out into this world to try and be saints to someone else. Before we sing uh, together this final song, will you please join me in prayer? God, we are thankful for the miracle of an empathetic God. The creator of all the cosmos who feels what we feel. May we never get over that miracle. And God, we confess that uh, for most of us, this, this last year and a half uh, has been a, uh, largely a time of grief. We have lost a lot. Nothing more difficult than the saints that we have lost. So God, we thank you that we don't have to have answers to questions that have no answers. We are thankful that we do not walk through grief and darkness alone. God, we are thankful that every tear that we have shed has been matched by you. And God, as we come down this aisle and we light these candles and remember the the warmth and the light that your saints have given us as we take these communion elements, May we remember that through each other, through the saints that have gone before us, through Christ himself, you are a God who is with us, and that is to be celebrated. Lord, we do love you, and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Will you stand with me, please?